need a Bible, again, if you came in a little bit late this morning and you need, you need a Bible, the passages are up, the uh, Bibles are up here, and the passages are up there also. John 15, Judges 7, Ephesians 1, yes. We would ask, please, that uh, if you have your cell phones, set your phasers on stun. Set phasers on stun. Uh, the bathrooms are in the back to the right from me, left from you. Um, if you don't have to use the restroom door in the service, uh, that's cool. If you do, um, please be mindful. Um, but again, it's a smaller congregation, so you know, I, you know, this might be somebody's God's moment. So. Um, just be mindful, and we want to hear from the Spirit. Did you come here to hear from God today? Amen. And are you ready to hear from the Holy Spirit today? Amen. I am. Right? John 15. John 15. And we will read through... verse 11 today. In many of your Bibles, you'll see that these words are in red, which means that these words were spoken by Jesus. And so let's pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to listen through those ears. See this passage through His eyes. And it reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here he clarifies, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Father in heaven, these words are a cool, refreshing drink on a hot day, and may they restore our soul today as we consider the mighty, massive implications. Speak to us clearly in Jesus' name, amen. Just by a show of hands, I'd like to ask you, in here today, how many of you have ever heard this name? Customato. 
Okay. Customato. I'm glad. That's cool. There's a reason for this. Customato, you might not know by name, but you would know the name of the man that he trained. He was a boxing trainer. How many of you have ever heard of Michael Gerald Tyson? His friends call him Iron Mike, all right? Iron Mike Tyson. Well, here's how this story goes. Tyson was a troubled youth. He was born in 1966, and they were living in the Bed-Stuy area, all right, in New York. So they came from a tough background. And in 1976, the family could no longer afford to live in Bed-Stuy. They moved to Brownsville, Texas. And Tyson, as a youth, would come home wearing clothes that his mother knew he didn't pay for. And so you can connect the dots, okay? He was a troubled youth, he was struggling, and he come under the tutelage, he came under the tutelage of a man named Customato, his boxing trainer. Now, Tyson was trained by D'Amato, and he developed, as many of you, if you've ever seen any of the old Mike Tyson fights, know that the man had a killer instinct. And he was doing, it seemed, exactly what this man was put on this earth to do. 1981-1982, under D'Amato's tutelage, he won the Junior Olympic gold medals. 1985, however, his trainer died. And after his trainer died, he still went on to win the world championship in 1986, but his life was never the same. After he was separated from his trainer, he was accused of rape. He was put in prison, and there are all sorts of things that happened to D'Amato and uh, to, to Tyson. In other words, when he was with his trainer, when he was walking with his trainer, and when he had direction, and when he was connected, he was a different man than when he became disconnected from Customato. And if you can join us there, then you can understand what we're going to talk about today. It's that connection that we have with God, and how maybe you've experienced this when you've had those moments in your life where you've known that God was there. You know that God was there, but you felt far from Him. Has that ever described where a place that you've been at where you know that He's there, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble feeling you. I'm having trouble experiencing you. I'm, I'm having trouble feeling connected with you. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at this passage in John 15. You see, the separation starts all the way back, and the Bible's very clear. Our separation from God starts back in the garden. And we always have to go back there for a starting point because that starting point shows us where there was the disconnect, where you had Adam and Eve and God, and there was this perfect connection between the man and the woman, between the man and God, between the woman and God, and something happened in the garden that forced a break in all of those relationships, and there was then separation. And that's the bad news. And if the story ends there, I was reading with my son last night, if the story ends there, it's a tragic story. But that's not where the story ends. The story there creates a longing for a connection that is again made possible by Jesus Christ when He came as a man. He came as a man. And because of what Jesus did on this earth, we again have that connection established. And that's really what this passage is about today, remaining in the relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. Now, we've started this thing called live streaming. And here's how we're doing this. We're going to give away the big secret, okay? Here's how we're live streaming. You see, this phone right here is connected to that phone on the windowsill. We've established, because the Wi-Fi in the school is abysmal, well, we've established what they call a hotspot. And as long as that phone is connected to the hotspot, as long as that phone abides in the signal, what happens is this, is that people are going to be able to watch. But when that signal fades, when we get away from that signal, well, people won't be able to watch what we're doing here. 
All right, but that's how that works. And so today we're talking about Jesus as he, in John 15, where he talks about verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. We have five points today. We have five points in this message that we've called vine time. Okay? Because we all need some vine time, and we'll find out what that means as we go on today. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So the first point of our message today is this, is that there is one true vine. There's one true vine, right? There are not several vines by which a human being connects with God and finds life. There's one true vine. And Jesus, again, through the book of John, we've seen him say several I am statements. Do you remember when Moses went to the burning bush and, and he asked God, he said, listen, God, if they ask me how I, who, who you are, the children of Israel, what should I say? Do you remember what God says? He says, I am. That's it. I am. You are what? You are everything. And through the book of John, what we've seen are several I am statements. Check them out. In John 6, 35 and 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life for anybody that's hungry. In John 9, 5, he says, I am the light of the world, in case anybody's walking in the dark. In John 8, 58, before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door, in case you're looking for a way out. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, in case you've lost your way. In John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, we studied recently, Jesus said, I am a way. I am a truth. No, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And today he says, I am the true vine. What's the significance? Well, in the vine, well, anything that stays on the vine, the branches, the fruit, anything that's on the vine has a source of life, Right? And so why is this significant? Well, as he is well on his way to the cross right now, as we've entered the Passion Week through the book of John, and the last eight chapters, which focus on the love of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, as we look at these, Jesus says one last bold statement, I am the true vine. In other words, if you want to be connected with something that's going to give you life, someone that's going to give you life, it's only possible here. That's important, folks, because there are many things out there that promise to give you joy, right? In this life, there are many, many things that promise to give you joy. Maybe a new home would give you joy. Maybe a new job you think would give you joy. Maybe a new car would give you joy. What are you looking for for the source of joy? There are many there are many sources out there where life and love are promised. Many think that if I just had that right person walk into my life, if I just had that person into my life that would love me the way I deserve to be loved, then that would be life, that would be fulfillment, then I would feel more connected, then I would have that source of life. Fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. Whatever it is, that thing that you've put on the throne of your heart that you said, if I just had this, Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, I am the true vine. I am the source of life. Now, I want you to think of this for a second. There's a story of a scientist, and the scientist um, said, God, you know what? I think we're good here. I think that we can do um, all of this without you. He says, listen, God, we've decided we don't need you anymore, the scientist said. These days we can clone people. We can transplant organs and do all sorts of things that used to be considered miraculous. And God replied, you don't need me, huh? Okay. 
how about we put your theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition to see who can make a human being? Say a male human being. And the scientist agrees. So God declares they should do it like he did in the good old days when he created Adam. Fine, says the scientist as he bends down to scoop up a handful of dirt. Whoa, God says, shaking his head in disapproval. Not so fast. Get your own dirt. <laughs> you get the point. The source of life. One source of life. When man was separated from God, Jesus came and he died on the cross. And that's what's being talked about right now. I am the true vine. Before he's going to the cross, he's painting a picture for them so that every time they take communion, when they take a sip of that wine, today we celebrate with juice, when they take a sip of that, we're reminded of what happened on that cross. I am the true vine. Through that vine, we have been given life, life, life. How many of you have tried to connect with something else to give you joy and peace and all the things that are promised from God? How many of you have tried to connect with something else and found at the end of the day it was just ultimately unsatisfying? All right, if you've, if you've been there, if you've done that, then this is the passage for you because Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine. Okay, so that's the first point. There's one true vine. All right, but here's the second point. Take a look at the next part of verse 1 where it says, And my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser, he's the one that takes care of the vine. He's the one that has ownership of the vine. So the second point looks like this. The vine dresser has editorial privilege. Here's what we mean. He decides what stays on the vine. He decides what gets pruned on the line. He decides what comes off of the vine. He has editorial privilege because it's his vine. He's established a lifeline He's connected us via His Son. He's given us the vine. He sent His Son to die on the cross to establish that lifeline. But now the Father decides, well, this is going to glorify me. This is not going to glorify me. So this stays. This goes. This has potential to glorify me. But here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to prune it. So He is the editor. You understand when you look at articles and when you watch news clippings and you know, maybe you were interviewed for something on the news and they edited you out of it. All right, there was a movie, the only movie that I had ever done in New York City, and they edited my voice out of it. Yeah. It was the only movie that I ever did in New York City, and the, in this movie I had a 30-second role, and if you want the name of the movie, I'll tell you after service. All right. <laughs> I had a 30-second role of the movie, and my line was this. I go up to the lead actress in the movie, Selma Hayek, and my line is simple. It says, hey, baby, you cool? <laughs> and you're wondering why he didn't get the Academy Award, right? Now, <laughs> the line is, hey, baby, you cool? Well, as we were filming that night, well, Miss Hayek was having struggles, and as we were filming that night, well, they had to cut the filming. And so when the movie finally got made, and I saw my scene, here I come, I'm playing the saxophone. All right, I'm playing the saxophone, and it's really me playing. I take the saxophone down from my mouth, and it's still playing. That's how bad the editing was. I go up to the lead actress. I go up to Selma Hayek with my big line, and I'm waiting for it. I'm in the theater, and I'm like, okay, here it comes. Hey, baby, you cool? And I sound like Barry White. Okay. The, line, the line comes out, hey, baby, you cool? I'm like, well, that's not me, all right? Well, they use their editorial privileges, and I have to say that, <laughs> that I'm glad that God's our final editor. How about you? How many, how many things has he perhaps taken out of your life or added into your life at one point, all right? 
God has final editorial privileges. That's what the vine dresser has. Now, to, to prove how this works, to show you how this works, I just want you to, for a moment, hold your place in John, go back to the book of Judges. It's chapter 7. And before there was the movie 300 with Gerard Butler, you have this, and this is history. Judges 7, verse 1. Then Jerobabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him arose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord God said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the, Midianite, the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, you have to understand the background of this. The children of Israel had about 30,000, roughly over 30,000 soldiers, but they were about to go up against the Midianites. How many soldiers did the Midianites have? It's estimated upwards of 135 soldiers. 135,000 versus 30,000 approximately. And so you would already think, well, the children of Israel are outmatched. How is God not going to get the glory if they win? But listen to what God does. God does something absolutely astounding. He says, back in verse 2, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So basically your army has been cut by 22,000. They left, and you have 10,000. Now it's 10,000 against 135,000. God has exercised his editorial privilege by taking some away. How do you explain that? Well, it gets better. Verse 4, But the Lord God said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that whom have I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, this is going to be the tell, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, like a dog, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, more human, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Okay, so it's a more human way to get down to drink water, all right, for them to get down on their knees and to, and to drink the water like that. He's saying instead, if they're lapping like a dog, only 300 were, were, were lowly enough to do that. 300 were lowly enough to lap like a dog. So here's what God says. Okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to take this 300. We're going to take this 300 up against 135,000. Why does he do that? Because at the end of the day, there is going to be absolutely no doubt as to how the battle got won. There's going to be no doubt at the end of the day. 135,000 versus 300. 
By the 300 men who laughed, I'll save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hand. And as he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men, now the camp, camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on that same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. And what does God do? Rest of the story, he delivers it into their hand. So that anybody looking at this battle is going to take a look and they're going to say, wow, those 300 soldiers are something else? No, no, no. They're going to take a look at the result of this battle and they're going to glorify God and they're going to say, only God could have done something like that. So if you have things being edited, taken from your life right now and you don't understand why, understand this, that this is where God creates His absolute masterpieces. He uses editorial privilege. Let's think of it like this. You're my neighbor. We're good neighbors, like State Farm. You know, we're, we're, we're good neighbors, okay? And you live next to me, and living next to me, I have a tree. And you love this tree. I love this tree. But you love this tree. I love this tree. And it gives you a wonderful view from your house. You like to go outside in the morning with your cup of coffee, and you like to sip your coffee as you're looking at the tree in my yard. Well, one day, you see some of the folks come over to my house, and they're actually going to take down the tree. Our lawn guys are taking down the tree. And so as they're taking down the tree, you get upset with me. You're like, you know what, this is affecting my view. Now here's something that I don't know, is that the lawn guys came to me and they said, hey, this particular kind of tree, here's what's happening right now. It's establishing roots under your house, but it's also establishing roots under your neighbor's house. And if it continues to grow the way that it's growing right now, it's going to uproot everything. It's going to mess with your foundation. It's going to mess with your plumbing. Now I know that. I'm the owner of the house. I make a decision to cut down the tree. You don't, you don't know about it. Do you understand that's how God works sometimes? Sometimes there are things going on in your life, and God says, well, I know that this thing seems good right now, but I actually have to remove it. And the reason that I'm removing it is because there's something dangerous about it or there's something better that I want to do because God has full editorial privileges. That's our God. Let's continue in the passage back to the book of John, chapter 15. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen to this verse. Memorize it. Underline it. Highlight it. Whatever you need to do with it. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. So the first thing that we saw is that there's one true vine. The vine dresser gets to decide who stays, who goes, what needs a little bit of pruning. But it, we also see here this very important point. And that is that when we remain in the vine, we will remain on the vine. If you remain in the vine, you will remain on the vine. And this is really where the rubber hits the road. That moment that you came and you gave your life to Jesus, you received the gift of eternal life. You received the gift. You came to that cross. It was one day you were broken. And nothing in your life was going right. And you'd been writing your own story. 
and you came to the cross and you said, you know what, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. God came in and He said, listen, I want to give you life. I want to give you abundant life. Come to the cross broken. to Give me your broken pieces and I'll put them back together. And you came to that cross, but it didn't start there. It actually just started there. It, it just began there. It didn't end there. It wasn't you just coming up to make a decision, okay, I received the gift of eternal life, so that way at the end if I take my last breath and I stand before God, I can pull out my get out of hell free card. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. All right, because that's not what it is. You gave your life, you went to the cross, and now this, a verse like this says, abide in the vine. What does this look like? When we're abiding in the vine, when we're remaining in the vine, what it means, you've realized that this vine is the source of life. It is the source of joy. It is the source of peace. It is the source of everything good in this vine. It is the source of true happiness and blessedness for a human being. You've recognized that this is where you need to be. Here's what happens. So many people come and they have an emotional experience and they say, oh, I feel good and, and, and Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to church now, but that things don't happen the way that they want them to happen and now God's not so good anymore. It says, remain in the vine. When we remain on the vine, we will remain in the vine. This is how this works in my, in my house. Recently, I introduced my son to the Looney Tunes. I couldn't help it. He's six, and the cartoons that are out there today are like so bad. All right, but I introduced him to the Looney Tunes, and so I showed him duck season, rabbit season. Are you familiar with it? duck season, rabbit season. And so my six-year-old looks at this, and he and I are just sitting there laughing hysterically. I shared this with him. I imparted this to him. Yes, and then don't say, well, why aren't you imparting scripture to him? Don't judge. All right, here's the thing. We do our Bible time together, but there's sometimes when we put the Looney Tunes on, he's laughing, I'm laughing. Now, here's what happens. All right, I've introduced him to something. He's latched onto it. A little bit later in the day, he comes up, he comes up to me, and he goes, it's duck season. And my, my answer is supposed to be, it's rabbit season. And then he goes, it's duck season. No, it's rabbit season. It's duck season, rabbit season. Now he changes it. It's rabbit season. Now it's duck season. Now fire. Because if you're not familiar with the cartoon, that's the moment in the cartoon when Daffy has a bad experience with Elmer, right? But here's the thing. My son has seen this cartoon, and now what's happening is like his father's getting joy. We're interacting. I've shown him something. He's bringing that thing back to me. That's what we're supposed to do with Scripture. Right? If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It's not just a matter of coming to the cross and saying a prayer. It's so much more than that. It's saying the author of life wants to give you life. Here's how he wants to give you life. He has promises. He has correction for you. He has all of these good things in his word. And as you get in the word, I come to him as David did, as Daniel did, as Nehemiah did, and I'm praying his promises back to him because I know his character and I know his word and I know I can go to him. So now what happens is this, is that I'm abiding in him. He's abiding in me. His word is coming alive in me. Has his word come alive in you? You want to remain on the vine. You've got to remain in the vine. You've got to stay in the word. You've got to stay on your knees. You've got to stay connected in fellowship. Well, pastor, I'll tell you what, I, I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian. Really? Okay. How's that gone for you? How's that gone not to be connected with God's people? Because you know it was designed like this, right? I'm your pastor. Can I be quite honest? 
I need Jesus, and I need you. My family needs your prayers. You need each other. So we'll do women's fellowship after church today. We'll do men's fellowship after church today. And these things are good because they allow us to know that we're not alone going through this thing called the Christian walk. If a man abides in me and I in him, he's going to bear much fruit, so we remain in him. What are we remaining in? What are we remaining in? How good is it? You want a little taste of how good it is? Keep your place in John. Last passage, we're going to turn away from John today. Ephesians 1. And we're going to start in verse 7. And I want to stress two words for you as we're reading through this. Those words are in Him. In Him. I want to stress those two words. It's Ephesians 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing from prison. And listen to the beauty of the language. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And all God's people said... Amen. This is huge. Okay, we're talking about redemption. We're talking about inheritance. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about unification. All things being made one under Christ. You see, here's the thing. We start to forget who we are in Him. And that's why we need passages like this. Because when I'm starting to get the snot kicked out of me by life, and the world is starting to come at me from all angles, I have to remember passages like this that I can go to, and I can read them if out, out loud if necessary. In Him, I have redemption through His blood. I have the forgiveness of sins. In other words, I'm putting myself in there right now. I have these things. I have these things because the God of heaven looked at me and said, I'm giving them to you. This is my gift to you because I love you. Stay in me. Stay with me. But God, I'm having a problem right now. You know my struggle right now. You know right now that I'm feeling separated from you. I've got some things going on in my life. You have to stay in Him. You have to stay in Him. Because here's how this works. In that moment, the first thing that I have to do is wondering why I'm not feeling connected, why I'm not feeling engaged. I have to go to Him and I have to say, is there something that I've put in my life that you didn't want in my life? And because I put that thing in my life, I'm having trouble connecting with you. Because maybe his desire is to prune that very thing. Maybe there's something I have to repent of. Maybe there's something I have to separate myself from before he takes it from me. In him. When I'm in him, what's happening is this, is that the things that are not supposed to be there, they get separated when I'm in him. 
Why? Because nothing else satisfies me when I'm in Him. Back to John 15. One of my favorite pastors recently talked about this verse and he used it by saying, okay, if we're going to abide in Him, it's one of the best illustrations that I've ever heard, so I'll use it. And he uses a tea bag. Alright? And he says that some people are dippers. They dip their tea bag up and down in the mug. A lot of Christians are like that. They dip on Sunday morning, then they dip back out. You know any dippers? Alright? They dip back in on Wednesday night, then they dip back out. But there's another way to drink tea, and that's to be an abider. It involves the act of just dropping the tea bag in the water and letting it stay there. Without touching the bag, an amazing thing will happen. The color of the water begins to change as the influence of the bag in the hot water affects change in the cup. A person can sit and watch the transformation take place because of the act of abiding. When you are a dipper, you've got to make things happen by your own effort. You get that? When you're a dipper, you have to make things happen by your own effort. You've got to move the bag up and down, dip a spoon in and out of the cup, wrap the string around the spoon, jerk and then pull. It can require a lot of human effort. But if you're abiding, the water changes all by itself. The water changes all by itself when you're abiding. Listen. You know how we talked about the true vine? Jesus did the heavy lifting. He went to the cross, and He took the cross for your sake and my sake. He went to the cross. He took your sin and my sin. The vine dresser determines what stays on the vine, what comes off the vine. That's His responsibility. But for the branch, for you and I, listen, church, our responsibility is really simple. Abide. Don't dip. Abide. Abide. Stay in Him. Stay with Him. Enjoy Him. Savor Him. Rest in Him. Verse 5, again, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in Him bears much fruit, for without Me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in Me and My word abides in you, you will ask for what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. And I want to stop there for a second. Again, His desire is for us to abide. His desire is for us to bear fruit. And so life on the vine sounds great, doesn't it? Life on the vine. Vine life sounds pretty awesome. Right? How many of you have had those moments where you've been on the vine and you felt, I feel close to God at this moment? And then you started separating and then you started reprioritizing and then it wasn't as sweet as it was when you were on the vine. On the vine it was different. Here's the fourth point today. Sometimes time on the vine, vine time, can be painful. Vine time can be painful because one of the things that we see in this passage is that the Father prunes. Right? He prunes. And the reason that He prunes is so the thing can bear more fruit, ultimately. That's why He's pruning. 
But some of you are like, you know what, I lost this loved one. This, this, this was taken away from me, Pastor. Um, I had a job, and I liked this job, and I thought that this was the job for me, and, and that job was taken away from me. And I was in this relationship, and that relationship was taken away. And some of you have had a lot of things at one time taken away from you. And you've suffered a lot of loss. And a lot of things have been snip, 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 because pruning is a painful process, right? How many of you have been pruned at all recently? Anyone? If you've been pruned at all recently, if things have been taken away, all right, you know that it's a painful process. It's painful sometimes as they say that when you're ill, sometimes the treatment is as painful as the illness itself or as the injury itself. Sometimes the treatment. And so there's this pruning that God does. And when you think of pruning, you think of a very sharp object. And sometimes as God is making these snips, we're disagreeing with the thing that he's taking. I don't think you should take this. This is something that you're not supposed to take because this is the thing I know that you gave me. This is the thing that I know can make me happy. And you're pruning it from my life now? You're taking it? What is this? It goes back to the second point. The vine dresser has full editorial privilege because if it doesn't look like his son in you, he wants it out. If it doesn't look like his son in you, then he wants it out. And you're pursuing this thing and you're like, I know that this is God's will. I know that this is God's will for my life. I can feel it, Lord. Drop kick me, Jesus. I can feel it right now. I know that this is your will for my life, God. And all the while, as you're waiting for this thing to manifest itself, you've forgotten something that I saw in a children's Devo with my son this week. This is a children's version of Oswald Chambers. And the title of it was on the 28th, What's God's Goal? I did just what God said, and now He has to make me a big success, right? Maybe. But God's goal is not my success. That's my goal. God's goal is that I trust Him and treat people right as I try to do His will. And as this is happening, I'm being made more and more and more and more like Him. Why? Because His goal is to show His Son to desperate, needy, hurting people on this planet. That's His goal. And if through our troubled situation, through our fallenness, through our struggle, what's happening is, is that if Jesus is coming out when we're getting pressed, mission accomplished. Because there's somebody looking at your struggle saying, the way that John is dealing with that struggle, I need his God. Because I can't get through the struggle on my own. All you have to do, all you have to do is realize what he's trying to cultivate in you. And it's that verse that we talk about so often, but if you don't know it, write it down and look at it. Because all you have to do is take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., and take a look at your adversity and ask God how He's using your adversity to cultivate the character of His Son. That's called abiding in the vine. That's called abiding in the vine. There's no situation that you're going through right now that God cannot use in your life to make you more like His Son. And that's His goal, always. That's His goal. But sometimes, again, staying on that vine can be painful, painful, painful. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He wants you to experience his joy. But this is painful. Yes, I know. But that pain is the way to dependence on him. And dependence on him, the Bible tells us this, in his presence is the fullness of joy. In his presence. So in his presence, I have things that I don't have on my own. Remember earlier we talked about Jesus being the true vine, the source of life. And I was, I was thinking about this this week. I was reminded of a story that I heard as a kid. And it was the story of Pinocchio. Okay? And if you're familiar with the story of Pinocchio, then you know that it's the story about a carpenter, really. And that carpenter's name is Geppetto. And Geppetto makes a puppet that looks like a boy. He's wooden. He looks like a boy, and one day, as Geppetto's looking out at the stars, Geppetto makes a wish. Oh, if this puppet could only be real. If he could only have life. And at that moment, a fairy appears to Geppetto, and, and he sprinkles something all over Pinocchio. And it's told that the puppet comes to life, still in wooden form. He comes to life still in wooden form, and the fairy tells him, he says, listen, if this young puppet can exhibit these qualities, if he can be brave, if he can be selfless, if he can be truthful, if he can exhibit these things, he will become a boy. Well, it turns out that Pinocchio is a little scoundrel, right? You remember the story. He's got to have this little cricket whose initials are J.C., so J.C. comes along, I know, I, I, I had to go there. All right, so the cricket, J.C., Jiminy Cricket, comes alongside Pinocchio, and he represents Pinocchio's conscience. But even with Jiminy Cricket whispering in his ear, he's still doing the wrong thing, still doing the wrong thing. Well, you know how the story ends. His father gets lost, and Pinocchio is joining the circus, right? And he's becoming more and more a base and more and more ridiculous. And then one day he learns that his father's gotten lost, well, Pinocchio goes inside the whale and, and, and he goes down there and he saves his father. But he dies in the process. Now, in dying, what's happened is, is that he's shown to be brave. He's shown to be selfless. He's proven himself to be truthful. It's a moralistic story, you understand, right? It's about how good behavior leads to good outcome. But do you understand that the gospel and what we're looking at today is exactly the opposite? Because we couldn't have life by ourselves, because we could not be brave in and of ourselves, because we could not be truthful in and of ourselves, because we could not be selfless in and of ourselves, one came, and his name was Jesus. And he came out of a great act of love and in a great act of bravery, he went to the cross, asking his father, Father, if you can take this cup from me, please take this from me but not as I will, as you will. Nevertheless, nothing could have kept him from that cross. That's brave. Now, it also says this, the Bible tells us this, that no greater love can a man have than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. So too, we ought lay down our life for the brethren. That's selflessness. He says, I am the truth, because there's one way to heaven. Now, when I'm abiding in the vine, here's the thing. 
I can be brave when I'm abiding in the vine. You know why? Because I've got a promise that tells me that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I can be selfless because the Bible says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life and we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to follow his example. And I can be truthful. And guess what happens when I'm truthful? The Bible says this, is that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Are you free here today? Are you free? I'm not saying are you free to do whatever you want out there. That's not what this is about. Are you free to go after the life that God has for you? See, we talk about Jesus and we talk about the fact that he's the true vine. He's saying this right before he dies. Why? Because there are going to come those moments when we're going to forget. And so he had given them the Lord's Supper. When we take a sip of that wine, this you do in remembrance of me. When you're remembering me, you have that courage. You have that wisdom. You have that peace. You have that joy. You have all of these good things that are made possible only when we abide in the vine. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship with God the Father through his Son, then we're going to sing a song that says, lead me to the cross. Why? Because that's the leading right now. Somebody here today may be being called to this cross so that you repent of your sins and you establish that relationship, you establish that connection in which we have life, in which we have joy, in which we have love and all of the good things that God had for you. The problem is this, is that some of you here have been doing it your own way and you haven't even bothered to establish that connection and you've been trying to find your way apart from it. But the Bible tells us that God is the author of life. Jesus said, I am the life. We have to go through Jesus to get that life. So if you've heard this today and you're saying, you know what? It's time. I need to make some changes today. I'm pulling my hair out. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And everything is a struggle. Everything I do is a struggle. And I want to know why. I would ask you this. Are you connected to life, the source of life? Are you connected to the vine? You came into this room today and you're like, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to hear when I go in there. I'm wondering if I'm going to feel judged when I come in here. I hope you didn't. I hope you felt loved when you came in. But I also hope that as you heard God's word today, you said, that's the kind of relationship I want. I want to be on the vine. I want to be in the vine. I want that relationship with God through his son. If you're tired of writing your own story, and if you came in today here not knowing if you were going to heaven, doing things, living life on life's terms, I would encourage you to stop living life on life's terms and start living life on God's terms. You're so much better. So much better.